0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the Richard Listens podcast. We aim to bring you leaders and visionaries and resilient individuals in their personal lives and in the work they bring to you as professionals. Today, we'll be speaking with Michaela Cox. She's a multi published author who writes about motherhood, faith, and culture. Drawing on her own life experiences with disability, divorce, and the death of her beloved husband, Michaela knows what it's like to Face trauma and tribulations and persevere and thrive through challenges. Her journey offers hope and a way forward to those who are dealing with challenges on their own. Without further ado, be welcoming in Michaela Cox. Welcome. Michaela, thank you so much for being here. And behalf of all my listeners who've dealt with grief, loss, many of the challenges that you've described, coping with disability, resilience. So you are an accomplished author. You have uh, at least six books I can see. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your message and your story and when the earth started to tremor?
1: I am Michaela Cox. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here to share what I have to offer people. I am an author of eight books, and I'm going to be having some more coming out over the next couple of months and then going into 2022. A lot of books in me, what I do, I write. So, you know, it's what I'm always doing. I am a speaker and my story is what I've been calling 38 triple D, not a garment size, but it describes what has been a journey from much tribulation to thriving in all things. The first D is lifelong disability of legal blindness. I've been blind or legally blind since birth. I've never had a breath or a day that I've taken where my medically normal, you know, I mean, what the hell's normal, but medically, you know, physiologically speaking, anatomy wise, normal. The second D is I was divorced at 26 and then at age 38 in 2017, almost four and a half years ago, I lost my husband at the time, uh, love of my life, and the father of my two children who were six and three at the time. So I went straight into solo motherhood
0: too. Wow. Yeah.
1: It's been an interesting ride for the last four and a half
0: years almost. I can imagine. I mean, just to have the courage to deal with any one of those things, let alone compounded traumas like that on a physical, emotional, and all while taking care of others. So I know you mentioned your approach. You mentioned the things that help you to carry on, you know, how did you get there? How did you figure out your approach and how did you learn to deal with grief on so many levels? Grief is an
1: interesting journey in and of itself. Unfortunately, no instruction manual. If you find one, let me know. That would be great. I would love to have one. So you kind of have to take (laughs) it as it comes and wing it, which is not my strong suit because I'm very orderly and organized and planned and to stick to the plan. Well, this is very unscripted, literally in grief. I don't know your audience background and I don't really know yours, but mine has always been a place of faith first and foremost. So I've had that a big part of my Our life. Our
0: listeners yeah. are from a variety of faiths, but I'm a practitioner of Kabbalah and raised in the Jewish faith and went through the rites and rituals of mourning my mm-hmm. father in that way.
1: So I've always been faith-based ever since I was five. So that's been a huge part of it, no matter what I was walking through. And then other stuff, either that came along when I was early on, younger, or and as I've grown through these different experiences and just in life in general. I've always kind of had the attitude, life is a choice. We may not choose what we're given. Like I didn't choose these circumstances that we're talking about, but I can choose what I do with them, meaning that I can either let it define me or I can decide to define it and me define myself and my life experience for myself. I mean, yes, certain experiences are going to change you and they're going to mark your life, but it doesn't mean you have to be defined by them.
0: Right. So that, and where did you learn that?
1: Well, I think I learned that because a lot of times with disability, you kind of have to form and forge your own way because you have to think about it. Whatever your disability is, something's missing. Something's not the way it's supposed to be. So you have to find a way around whatever that is, whether it's vision or hearing or you know, being physically disabled in other respects or whatever your limitation is, and find a way around that if you choose to. And so you have to think of things differently. And I've always made the choice I think had a lot to do with the way I was raised. With my parents have you don't quit, you don't give up, you don't stop, you do your best, and you go forward and you do what you can. I mean, sure, there's some things I'm never going to be able to drive. I mean, no one wants a legally blind chick on the road driving. Okay. There's just no getting around that. It's not going to happen. It's not <laughs> good for you. It's not good for me. It's not good for anybody. There's nothing I can do about that.
0: Are you looking forward to self-driving cars?
1: No, I don't trust them because technology can glitch and our mind is probably one of the most amazing things that were ever created and I don't want a machine out guessing me. So even if I could and that would be phenomenal for my own personal life, I don't think as a society and as a human race that that's something we should really pursue because I think it leads to other things that could maybe eventually bite us in the butt and backfire on us, which is a whole other conversation and debate. Sorry so, no. for
0: that aside. I just no, that's uh, okay. uh, I wondered I- if those who have not been able to drive, that <laughs> uh, they see technology right as a something that would give them freedom or right on the other hand there's less control i
1: mean it'd be amazing because i'm not going to lie and say that wouldn't make my life easier but i don't think it's worth the risk so i choose not to i mean i've done pretty good for almost 43 years not driving so that's just my choice other people might feel differently in that situation but should that technology you speak of come along uh, that's going to be
0: my stance on it your family raised you with a lot of faith Correct. And teachings about mindset.
1: Well, they wouldn't put it that way, but yeah, it is mindset because it's how you think and how you perceive the world. And, you know, are you going to be or Are you going to be optimistic? Is it half full, half empty? Are you going to be the victim? Or are you going to be the victor? What are you going to choose, you know, no matter how hard it is or how hard the day is or what storms we might be going through? We all have to think about it and process it. I'm not saying that, you know, we have feelings and thoughts and that's part of our humanity as it should be. And once you process that, are you going to dwell on it and stay in it? Or are you going to say, okay, let's figure this out, you know, which way you're going to go? So that's a big part of it, I think. And there's there's a reason why we say in our society, mind over matter, and that once you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want because there's power in that. And it doesn't make it wrong. It's just or right. It's just how do you want to use that power?
0: So tell us about your gift or one of them, your many talents, you know, your writing. Uh, when did you start and how long have you written?
1: I've literally started writing when I was in second grade. Like, it's always been a part of me. It's what I always do. It's If I'm not doing it, I'm thinking about it or I'm talking about it. And obviously, what I write now is very different than what I was when I was in second and fourth grade but I've just always done it. I think I somehow knew inherently that my life was going to have to be done differently than most of the world because of my disability and I knew the words they couldn't take for me. And I knew that that was a way of getting my voice out there, even if I didn't have other options. So it was always a way of expressing myself and adding and contributing, hopefully.
0: Right. You have in second grade. That's amazing. And what inspired or inspires you to write?
1: Actually, in second grade, confession, I was a little bit of a weird kid. I somehow got in my head that I needed to write an editorial to my local newspaper at the time. And I, I, I guess we were learning about freedom of speech in school or something, or there was some current event about, I guess that would have put me about seven or eight. So that would have been 85, 86, somewhere in there. I was living in Texas at the time because that's where I was originally from. There was a current event, I guess, about a Supreme Court case, maybe, or some other incident about burning the flag. And I was all ticked off about it. So I thought my little second grader self needed to tell the world about it. So I sent an editorial to the newspaper about how that was wrong. Right or wrong, that's not the point, but that's how I literally started my writing, was writing an editorial in second grade. I don't know many kids that do that, but okay you know, me being me, but.
0: That was the purest form of, I need to speak yep. up. Yep. Well, the good thing about being a child is the lack of inhibition, right? We don't see yep. a separation in power structure or limits.
1: So I had something to say and well, by golly, they were not hear about it and I submitted it and they published it, so.
0: Are you writing using Braille,
1: McKenna? No, oh, no. I tried Braille like a long time ago and what a lot of people don't understand about if anyone's not in that world, there's actually three types of Braille. There's grade one, grade two, and grade three. And grade one is your are just simply your basic alphabet and your punctual in your numbers and then grade two is like shorthand so I didn't learn grade two and I definitely learned grade three because grade three is an even shorter shorthand of grade two which is kind of your own shorthand. Uh, grade two, think of it as like the word brush. It's like you might have a combination of the six dots of braille for anyone who doesn't know what braille is or how it works. You have a cell of six dots of one, two, three, four, five, six and everything based a braille is made off of that one cell combination of those dots. So in grade two you take the word brush you might have a symbol that's for the BR and I don't know if they would do it for us or do one for you and then do it for SH but it's like a shorthand. I'm actually illiterate because as far as I know everything's done on grade two and I don't know grade two so there's some little irony for you.
0: Well, how were you able to, to write? You're able, the vision is doesn't impair you enough.
1: I enlarge a lot. Like there's a lot of accessibility through technology so I do a lot of that and it's more of it takes me a long time so if I get tired I just stop and finish it later but yeah there's a, a lot of accessibility and you can zoom and you can enlarge and you, you can even do diction or you can have other softwares that you can speak into. There used to be a software that it was only on PCs at first and I used it in college but now I think it can be on Macs too a while ago but I just got out of the habit of using it. It was called Text, where you could enlarge the screen to like crazy amount. Like I think it enlarged like up to 72 times. It was like nuts. And then like you could also do like Audible. Like it would read anything on the screen no matter what was on the screen.
0: Oh, thank you for that. For my own education and for our listeners who may not know. So what inspires you now to write and uh, how do you create what you write? Does it happen in your mind first? Like... Like where
1: a Life experiences, just my journey and things that I have passion about, like my faith and yes, politics. Yes, I still write on politics. Uh, it hasn't changed. Um, motherhood, parenting, my own journey, like the 38 Triple D of like, that's my newest book that came out in June was about my uh, journey of what it was like to live a life of going through all three of them. And you know, how I navigated that and what I used to try and overcome it. I mean, that information
0: is valuable for the world right now and for anyone who's lost a spouse or been a single parent. It's so important.
1: Well, it's not only that, it's whether my tribulation is someone else's tribulation or someone's struggle is my struggle. It's the idea of you're not getting out of this life unscathed. Unfortunately, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when something's coming up, whether it's a disease. I mean, you don't want these things to happen, but it's what happens, either disease or cancer or death or financial crisis or a freaking pandemic. No one's all coming. I mean, good luck trying to crystal ball that one that we've all been living in for the better part of almost a year and a half. Divorce, you know, the list is endless. So it's like, it's still the idea of of learning how to overcome no matter what you're overcoming. That idea of overcoming and wanting to thrive and be triumphant in tribulation of choice is the same no matter what you're exactly having to kick down the door to work through. And how you do that is the same approach no matter what it is you're trying to use it to overcome. Do you know what I'm saying? I feel it's very applicable to most people in most lives even though my journey of these three triple D's may be very different from somebody else's but it still applies and it can help them because it's still helping them work through whatever it is they're trying to overcome and achieve.
0: How have you gone through this journey, how have you thrived? I mean, to suddenly lose a spouse or, you know, for some people, right, or to have a disability from a young age, for some that struggle is hard to thrive through.
1: It is. It doesn't make it easy, but you can find a way to do it if you choose. And that's the first thing for me. Personally, mine has always been my faith is the first and foremost. But outside of that, an actual, like, more practical, like, I don't want to say logistics, but, you know, tactical approach or a methodology or a system. I've always believed life is a choice. You know, you can choose what you want to do with this. I think we talked about that. I've always chosen to not be defined by these things. I want to define my life and have the life that I want to achieve and go for what I want. The next one is mindset. Cause I think your mindset is harder because we can't always control what comes in our mind, but it is up to us to use that power of our mind to help us get to where we're going or hold us back, you know, be positive or negative or look for the the happy and the joy and the the gratitude and all the different things no matter even though it can be on the hardest day of our life there's always no matter how slim or how much of a sliver it is there's still something i think self-care is important i learned that one the hard way in my i don't want to say young because i was 31 when i became a mom but a first-time mom and i was had the brilliant idea let's go to grad school with the eight-month-old and have another kid in the process and your husband's in the military and your husband's in grad school and you live 26 hours away from friends and family like all the things i didn't have a lot of time for self-care i was juggling you know wife one and then two kids and going through school that took me a really long time with a disability because that's kind of the thing about my vision. I don't process like everyone else does. So it takes me 10 times longer to do everything. So when I got out of grad school, I literally had 20 to 50 hours back in my work week. That was grad school work, not a job, academic work. I think self-care, it seems odd to say that that's really important, but I think it is because if you're a person that's wanting to do all the things and give, give, give or help, help, help or whatever and take care of those that are in your life, we're a well that's only so deep and there's only so much water as far as in our personal well and if we're always shoveling out water and not putting anything back in, we're going to dry up or burn out. And I didn't have a lot of time when I was in grad school, so I didn't. But then when I entered my journey of grief, I learned very quickly taking self-care whether you want to or not in grief can be the difference between drowning and keeping your head above water. And so I learned really quickly, you know what? That laundry, those dishes, they'll be here in five hours. They're not going anywhere. I'm going to go chill out. I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to whatever. They're not going anywhere. You it. must, they you must be me.
0: reading my mind. That's the most, most popular conversation in our house is can you leave the laundry till tomorrow?
1: Yes, you can. You absolutely can. More times than not. And you do your family or your friends or whoever's in your life actually a favor in yourself by doing self-care, caring for yourself, because you're able to be that person you want to be for everyone or for yourself and do all those things that you're striving to do by having a positive mindset and by the choice you made. I'm a huge fan of self-care, whatever version of it that may be, because we're all different individuals and how we um, give care to ourselves. It has a lot to do with what refuels our spirit and rejuvenates our soul. That could be very different things from one person to the
0: next. That's very good. What's your favorite form of self-care? Depends on the day.
1: Napping and at night when my kids are in bed watching Hulu.
0: What's your favorite Hulu show?
1: Right now, I've been going back between SOA and One Tree Hill and Blue Bloods. That's
0: terrific. Through. I
1: know. I watch way too much TV, but you know what? No, I don't care.
0: Oh, no. It's uh, Having a show is like a secret relationship, right? It's a...
1: Yeah. It's like you're going off with all your friends and your characters and escaping. and protesting. It is. And the
0: pandemic became a big outlet for a lot of people. Yes.
1: I get to decompress and just escape and not think anything after for about an hour. I don't do what I
0: want. So. Exactly. A little healthy escape.
1: Yep. Exactly.
0: How's it been living with the loss of your husband? Was he lost in battle?
1: No. So he had there was a I was 26 when I met him he was 41 in 2005 so we were almost 14 15 years apart so actually funny story I was three and a half years old when he signed up for the army in 82 and he was in Gulf Desert Storm when I was in sixth grade and but it was all legit no jailbait. bait we were of age so I think in his earlier career he was infantry and whatnot and airborne I think he had some bad jumps and it. Caused some residual health issues that we were starting to discover. And it was unforeseen and unexpected.
0: I'm sorry. Yeah. And how have your kids managed?
1: They were pretty young at the time, not the youngest I've ever heard of, but they were six and three at the time. So it was, you know, I don't think my daughter got it pretty well as you can at six, but her brother was three. So he was just like, I don't think you understand at three, you know, and that was one of the things that happened last year. He was finally the age his sister was in 2017. So cognitively he was able to catch up to his grief and really start to understand it and like really process it you're three I mean come on you're like whatever where's my toy you know whatever at three mentally and cognitively I mean he understood but he didn't understand understand if you know what I mean just different levels as our cognitiveness and ability grows so he had a rough year last year with it but we were living in New Hampshire at the time and within 90 days I decided we needed to get back to Louisiana I didn't want to move back to Louisiana not my favorite place geographically speaking, but I had a huge network and that's where my parents were. And not that I expected it to take the place of their father, but I knew that would be good for the kids to have their grandparent. I've been working really hard over the last few years when well, we first got here to get us set up and get them established and plugged in and you know so that they could have stability, you know, to have a chance of working through it, you know, it's not always easy as far as me, once I had all that taken care of and my son at the time wasn't in kindergarten yet because he was only four. So I didn't have a lot of time for me that year. But kind of in the second year of my grief Journey when they were both in school that gave me a lot more freedom and space to so like, okay, I got through the first year, I was none, I was on all the it The hell just have kind of caught up to my own self on that one and just really start diving in and not wanting to, but needing to to keep myself sane so that I can be what I have to be for my kids. I love counseling. So I go to counseling and I work on it that way and journaling and meditation and girl time and of course my faith. So just various different things.
0: What would you tell, you know, someone else? What advice, wisdom can you give to other people in any of these? these? these areas of the the triple D, right? I mean, I I
1: believe very much in that life is a choice and you get to define it and choose what you want to do with it. But in order to do that, once you've made your choice, that doesn't make it any easier to actually do it. But then use those tools in your toolbox, like working on your mindset and taking care of yourself. And then the last one for me is resources, you know, whatever that looks like. It may be resources for solving a problem at work or your kid might be going through something or it could be your own things that you're struggling with. Get resources when you're stuck. We all get stuck sometimes. And I think with those combination of things, it makes it a lot easier to work through stuff and have a chance of making sure we're overcoming whatever we're struggling with as long as we're willing to do it. And those have worked for me in all circumstances like I learned a lot of that early on as a kid because of the disability but then and having learned them early as a kid I kind of already had them in place that I could just all I had to do was reach back down and get them out again and practice them again It was kind of like muscle memory because I'd already done it in one instance for so long I mean like I said I've been able literally my whole life so I came into this world having to figure that out at some point you know what I mean it wasn't like I was no disability and then all of a sudden you have some weird freak whatever that causes you to lose your vision I've always been like this and it's not repair terrible so it'll be like this my whole life so it's just what I am and what I have to do and
0: you knock it out so are you saying the resources maybe that you have to learn early in life to cope or survive can be used in other difficulties that that come along the way
1: it sets you up for knowing how to do them when you need them again you know if you've already learned them it's like anything if you've already learned how to do the skill set then you can use it again if you need it again that's what I've kind of done you know that's what seemed to make sense for my life experience and journey and what I've walked through even in divorce. It kind of shocks you to your core and you have to kind of reset and re-establish yourself. So you just use those same things to get past that personal trauma or tragedy or, you know, difficulty season or whatever you want
0: to call it, you know? I mean, divorce is another form of loss, right?
1: It is. Although I will say I never thought I'd be able to compare them and I never wanted to compare them. But I can honestly tell you, and I hope this is okay for anyone who maybe had to do both. I don't know if they would agree with me and I can only speak for me. Grief is way worse of a crap show than divorce. Losing someone that you didn't want to lose. I mean, I didn't want to be divorced but I chose to walk away from that marriage is totally different from losing like someone in your life, like a spouse or something like grief. So yes, to me, the hardest D out of the three was losing my husband for me personally. So yeah, way different. And I never wanted to say I could compare the two, but I actually can now. So that's my assessment on that one.
0: I think the element of uh, anything when it's too fast, too soon, too close, too quick, you know, we don't have a choice really makes it harder process. What's coming down the pike for you? I mean, book release, tour? Are you speaking? How are people able to reach you?
1: I have a website. It's called MyHeartfeltMeditations.com. I can get you that information if you'd like. You can get to all the things through there. I am on Facebook and Instagram. All my books are on Amazon. I am trying to get into speaking from a more professional standpoint, although I do love doing podcasts. It's probably one of my new favorite things I've been doing since February. I don't have one. A really fun way to get to meet a lot of different people and get the word out. As far as writing, I am working on several projects over the next 16 months. From starting in September to end of 2022, all of my series will have a new release. them. So I'm always doing more than one thing. And if I'm being really ambitious, I'm really hoping to pursue trying to get a TEDx talk. I'm doing all sorts of stuff. Always busy.
0: That's incredible. And do you self-publish?
1: Yes, I do. There's nothing wrong with traditional publishing, but I have found that that's been the best course to pursue for publishing. I tried traditional publishing and it wasn't working out. And then I discovered a great organization that's allowed me to pursue all this and it's been phenomenal. And so I've been going that route and used for anyone who is in the publishing world or may not be in the publishing world. Um, Amazon, although longer than I realized at the time, had started their own self-publishing company. It's called KDP, which stands for Kindle Direct Publishing. And that's how a lot of people in the self-publishing world are doing right now. Unless they want expanded distribution and get into brick and mortar and then they go eat Ingram Sparks or other
0: avenues. That's terrific. <laughs> Perfect. A lot of direction to go. I mean, it sounds like there's not a lot of time for much. What's it been like being a parent in a pandemic? It
1: was fine because it was like, on one hand, it was really good to have the kids home for six months in the second half of 2020, but I got worked behind. So I usually don't write during the summers because usually I just go straight to like mommy mode because they're home unless I'm just having to meet a deadline. But that summer, I knocked out like three books in one summer. That was crazy. But anyway, I had to get caught up. I can't be behind all these things to do. How
0: um, much time do you write per week or? Day.
1: Um, during the school year, I usually write Monday through Friday. Like, once the kids are on the bus, I'll do my little morning routine, get myself ready. And then by like 9, 9 30, 10, I'm on my computer writing for like two or three hours till my eyes screaming, like, Woman, you have lost your mind. We're done for the day. Leave us alone. And then I might come back to it later on once they've had a break. So, <laughs> and then I do it according to like, I plan out my books when I write. Now, it can change. I don't care about that, but I have to have a certain direction I'm going in. And usually I look at the outline in relation to when it needs to be out by. So, like, if I can write two chapters a day, then it'll be done By so I plan it out that way and I think you asked me a question earlier that I really didn't get to answer is where I get my ideas from I do take from life and I do take from my passions but that's what I think is so great about creativity and inspiration you can really get it anywhere one of my books that I wrote summer of 2020 um, was on a beach vacation with my kids and I got inspired just being in the water with my kids playing in the waves and it gave me like this whole outline in like 20 minutes it was like oh please let me get to the hotel room before I lose my head and I'm in the water and near no pen no paper no computer no phone so that's I think that's what's so amazing amazing about the creative brain and life you can get it anywhere really
0: amazing stuff yeah i mean how much inspiration you're drawing from your life and your experience and allowing in creativity can you still find creativity after going through trauma
1: Yes. Now, does it make it harder? Probably. Because I mean, I'm not an expert and I'm not a psychologist and I can't say all the right terminology. But as we know that with biochemistry and brain chemistry and neurotransmitters, it does affect our brain waves and how that I even noticed it after losing my husband. They call it widow fog or whatever, grief fog. And it was harder to you know keep some thoughts in my head. But once you kind of sort through the first initial stuff, I think if it's important to and it can be like it was a good outlet for me. I wrote some of my grief because that's just what I do. I'm a writer. So, so it was very helpful for me. That may not be everyone's thing. It may be a different method, but I think it can also be helpful and kind of cathartic.
0: So, Mikael, again, tell everyone your Instagram and your website, where they can find your books right now, maybe the one that came out in June that they should look out for.
1: Yeah, that one's kind of what I'm really wanting people to look at, because if they want to know all about me, you pretty much get it in that one. For better or for worse, all my books are on Amazon, and my website is heartfeltmeditation.com, which gets you to all the other things. One-stop shop
0: makes it easy. Savvy businesswoman, super mom, author.
1: That's why I mainly write from September to May. I pretty much have the flexibility with both Hopefully being in school for the last several years from eight to three, I pretty much can do what I want. So I try and fit it within. It doesn't always work because life's not perfect, but that's what I try and stick with.
0: And do you have your faith community there? Do you get support?
1: Yes. I have a great church and a great tribe of friends and life group and all that jazz. So it works for me. I've made some life changes in the direction I want to go. It took me a long time to get there after grief, but um, I decided to see what I can go find and I found something nice.
0: Well, welcoming new relationships and new connections is part of healing as well. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for taking time, for my listeners and my guests, for being a model of uh, resilience, courage, willingness to put yourself out there and inspire others.
1: I enjoyed it. And hopefully some of this content will be good. and, And while it may not be my journey, they may be different, but maybe it can empower them on their own and they can thrive on their own.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you all for tuning in. That was... Richard Listens with Michaela Cox on what it's like to deal with disability loss and divorce, compound trauma, how to find resilience, follow your faith, follow inspiration, find creativity, and find ways to be resilient and transform in the face of pain. Thank you all for tuning in, and we hope to bring you a variety of guests who've been through a host of lived experiences. I appreciate you all. This is Richard Listens, and I'm out.